0: Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome all of you to worship again, especially those of you joining us in the traditional service or online. It's good for us to be able to study God's Word together as a church family. And if you're new to First Lutheran, I'd like to welcome you into our summer uh, Bible study series on the book of Acts, where we're looking at how Jesus continued his way of life through the first Christians and how God's calling us to continue that way in our lives today. And so this morning, we turn to Paul's missionary journey in Athens. And Athens was a very challenging culture to the message and way of Jesus. If you want to follow along with me in your Bible, Acts 17 is found on page 1624, but we're also going to have the verses on the screen, so you can follow along easily that way. As you're turning there, uh, just a little bit to know about where Paul is in life right now. If you remember, Paul used to be persecuting the way of Jesus in the church. He was committed to uh, Judaism at the time and was one of the religious leaders who was bent on keeping the Jewish people pure. And the early Christians were proclaiming that Jesus was God, and that was just not okay to Paul. But then Jesus met Paul and radically changed his life. He sent him in a new direction. And now Paul, the one who was persecuting the church, is traveling around the ancient Greco-Roman world, starting churches and sharing the good news of Jesus With whoever will listen. And here he finds himself in Athens, and the early church is is so fresh and new at this point that he's probably the only believer in Jesus in Athens. When he shows up there, it doesn't say that he went to spend time with other Christians. He finds himself in the synagogue and on the streets sharing with people about the good news of the Lord. And he's waiting for some friends. Uh, named Silas and Timothy who are going to go help him start a church in Corinth. So he's not planning to be in Athens for a while. He's really just passing through, and he finds a very challenging culture there. We pick the story up in Acts 17, starting in verse 16. It says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching about the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. So Paul's walking around the city, and he finds that Athens is a very religious place, just not a very Christian place. Athens was an epicenter of pagan religion. It housed one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Parthenon. And I brought a picture of the Parthenon that you can see. It's a little uh, destroyed right now, but in ancient Greece, this was a place that was known as the Temple to the Gods. You could find every kind of god imaginable there. Athena, the goddess of wisdom, Zeus, and Ares, and all Aphrodite. If you could think of a human desire, there was a god for it. The god of war, the god of love, the god of romance, the god of wisdom. And so people were very religious, and idolatry was central to their culture. There were festivals in Athens to the gods, that were filled with all kinds of debaucherous parties. They basically made kind of present day immorality look a little bit tame. And so you can imagine what Paul was thinking as he walked around the city, seeing the religiosity of the people that was so different than the way of Jesus. And so it says he became distressed in, in sharing the good news about Jesus and his resurrection with the people. So while he was doing that, he encountered another group of people that were very challenging to the way of Jesus. In this passage, they're known as the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They represented a whole nother part of the city of Athens. This was known as the Academy. The Academy was a philosophical school started by some famous pe- people centuries before where the best and the brightest minds debated the ideas that impacted society together. Scholars like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates they debated on this hill known as the Areopagus. Now, you can see the hill here that's overlooking the Parthenon, and it's actually juxtaposed this way. They would go to this hill where there weren't a lot of buildings to really focus on human reason. They had determined that you couldn't really know what the gods wanted for you, and so the philosophers focused on human beings being able to logic and their own reason to figure out the problems of their day. And so those two different groups created a very challenging environment to the way of Jesus. You had the people that were focused on pagan religion that was the epicenter of that culture. And then you also had the epicenter of intellectual uh, progress and ideation. You know, Athens was kind of like the TED of the ancient world where the newest ideas were discussed and debated. And this is the environment that Paul finds himself in where he begins to share the good news of Jesus. And he begins to go against some of the central values of these people. Basically, the one thing, or a few things, the people in the academy, the philosophical school, agreed upon was this, that no one could know what the gods wanted from them. Essentially, that all truth from the gods was relative, that it couldn't be known. The second thing is, there was no resurrection of the dead. Once someone died, no one rose again. And the third thing is ancient ideas were more valuable, and new ideas were looked on with suspicion. One of their own uh, philosophers, Socrates, was actually condemned to death at the Areopagus for presenting new and strange ideas about foreign divinities. And so when Paul is mocked by them as a babbler and brought to the Areopagus to present his new and strange ideas about a foreign divinity... You probably can't imagine a situation that's more challenging on an intellectual, social, or spiritual level. And I think this is a great passage for us to study today as we prepare to send off our graduating seniors to college. As you know today, this is August 4th, and our seniors that have recently graduated are going to be heading off to school soon. We have college students that are back here, and I think in a large part, Uh, colleges and universities in our culture today are kind of the Athens of our culture. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that. There are some real challenges in our colleges and universities on a social, spiritual, and intellectual level to the way of Jesus. And so I just thought I'd take a moment and see, do we have any students that are in college or preparing to go to college here right now? We have maybe one. I know it's a little bit early. If you guys could just stand up, we'd like to actually clap for you, and I'd invite those of you in the traditional service to clap for them too. Could we just clap for them for a minute? <clears throat> Thank you. We're so glad you're here, and I also would like, for, because I'm the pastor that's focused on, on youth in our church, this is my chance to do this, I'd actually like for any of our children and students to stand up as well. And adults, I'd like for you to clap for them. <clears throat> children and students, could you guys stand up? Thank you. We want our young people to know that they are a really important and valuable part of our church community, and that a big part of our job as a church is to nurture and prepare the faith of the next generation to meet the challenges of the real world, to face those challenges in the way of Jesus. And statistics have shown us recently, a a study was done at Fuller Seminary about the faith of college students and they're finding that about 50% of college students are leaving their faith behind when they go to school. And as a pastor who's given most of my life to working with students, that makes me really sad because those aren't statistics. Those are people. And the way of Jesus is what creates hope and love and joy in the human soul. And I just it makes me so sad to see people walking away from their faith at a young age. I know for myself, when I went to college, I went to the College of William Mary in Virginia, and I was really blessed with a great education there. I got to study religion and history and also majored in football. And so I had a great time. And uh, it was a wonderful experience in large part. It was, when I look back on it, a rapid time of, of growth in my faith. As I experienced challenges to what I believed, it caused me to seek the scriptures in a deeper way and to find a great church to get involved with. And I was blessed with some incredible mentors during that time that have shaped my life to this day. I also was really blessed to find my wife at the College of William Mary, so that worked out really well for me. But I also know that during that time, there were a lot of challenges that I faced. In my first semester of school, I remember feeling so lonely. I had a hard time finding a Christian community to be a part of, and there were so many emotional changes being away from home that were challenging. And I also had professors in school that they actually made it their stated mission to destroy the faith of Christians. And they would say that sometimes in classes. And I don't want anybody here to be surprised about that. I actually found that as a challenge worth taking up for myself. And that caused me to really want to see God more in my life to know what I, I really do believe about things. But there are, uh, there are intellectual ideas in colleges and universities that seek to undermine and dismantle the Christian faith of, of young people. And so there's a lot of challenges in the college environment. And I think most adults could agree with that, that with your time in college, there are probably a lot of challenges for you, socially, spiritually, and intellectually, to living out the way of Jesus. And some adults have known the pain of, of walking away from Christ themselves at that age. Or maybe they've watched their young person do that, and they've prayed for their student, and they've seen them struggle in college. And, and that's a hard thing for a parent to watch. And so as you guys get ready to go off to school, those of you who are going to do that or those of you who are in school, we want you to be prepared to face the challenges that you're going to experience in college. And we know that can be a little bit of a scary thing. It's also a very exciting thing. And parents, we know that that's also a scary thing for you. And as you kind of let your your child go and you wonder which way they're going to choose, And I think this passage that we're looking at today with Paul in Mars Hill is a great passage for us to study as we prepare to release our young people into the world. Because, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about living out our faith in challenging environments. Sometimes we forget that, like Paul in Athens, the majority of the story of the Bible is of a minority people group learning to live out the way of God in relationship to a culture that does not support the values and beliefs of the God that created the world. I mean, just think for a second about the biblical story. Do you think people thought Noah building the ark was a great idea? (laughs) Do you think Abraham's culture, when he heard from God to leave his land, thought that that was a very good decision? Do you think that Moses found a lot of support for following God in Egypt? Or you think Daniel felt the love when he was thrown into the lion's den. I don't think so. And Jesus himself, at the end of his life, even though he was hailed as the king of the Jews and crowned and just and adored on his way into Jerusalem, he found himself mocked and alone at the end of his life, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus never promised us that we would find a supportive environment for living out our faith. In fact, in his last night with his disciples, he promised the opposite. He says this in John 16. I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises that he would be with us wherever we go. That he would strengthen our hearts to learn to follow his way in whatever environment we find ourselves in. Actually, the only place in the world where we will not find a challenge to the way of Jesus is when we get to the final kingdom of God. If you talk to any adult, the challenges after college, they actually uh, get even more difficult. The stakes get higher. And we live in a culture that's increasingly not supporting the values and the way of Jesus Christ. And I think for all of us, not just those of us who are going off to college, we need to pay attention to how Paul expresses his faith on Mars Hill in Athens. Because I really believe that the way that Paul engages his culture helps us to see how we can authentically live out our faith in Christ in a culture that's very challenging in our world today. And so for those of you who like outlines and fill in the blanks, I'd like to give you a few really quick that we're going to focus on for the rest of Our time. If you want to write them down, they're in the bulletin. And I think if you're ADD like me, they'll help us stay on track into focusing on how Paul expressed his faith in a challenging culture and what we can learn from that in our lives today. And so, a few things that I think are are some basic observations about Paul's time in Athens are this. First of all, Paul was not afraid of the culture, Paul was also not frustrated by the culture. And Paul did not fit into the culture. Paul was moved by faith to reach people in the culture. And I'm going to circle back to that point on each of those first three points. That Paul was not afraid of the culture. He was moved by faith to reach people in the culture. Paul was not frustrated by the culture. He was moved by faith to reach people in the culture. And Paul did not fit into the culture to reach people in the culture. He was moved by faith to share the love and truth of Christ with them. When we read the speech that Paul gave at Marsa, I want us to look at it here together as we continue in Acts 17. Because when he shared the biblical story with the people of Athens, he did it in a very surprising way, I think, to some of us. He did it by quoting their own poets and philosophers and even holding up a statue to an unknown God from within their religion to give them a starting point for understanding who Jesus is. Paul risked his own security to share the love and truth of Christ. And he did it by showing them how their own culture pointed to their need for Jesus. Look with me in Acts 17, starting in verse 22. It says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times and histories and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul not only shared the story of the Bible with them and connected the dots for them about a God who was not living in a temple made by human hands, but who had created the whole world. The world was his temple. And that God wanted to live in their hearts by faith in Jesus Christ, as he later explains to them, by the power of the resurrection. But he quotes their own poets and philosophers to show them their own need for Christ. He wasn't afraid of their culture. He was confident in the truth of Scripture and able to engage their culture to point them to Jesus. And I think this is a really important lesson for us to learn to authentically live out the way of Jesus in our culture, to engage the culture around us. Martin Luther really understood this. I was talking to Chris Barrett uh, about a month ago or so, and he was reminding me that in the time of the Reformation, when the church was experiencing great renewal to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Luther wanted to share the gospel with the people that weren't in the church. They had given up on the church. They were out in the bars and out in the world, and the way that he did that is he found the hymns that were sung in the bars the, on the organ, which was the instrument of the day, and he wrote Christian lyrics to them. And those were the first hymns that were sung in the Reformation churches, were bar hymns with Christian lyrics, so that the people who were disconnected from God in the church could come and find the love and the truth of Jesus Christ, who had died on the cross for their sins and had risen from the dead to live in their hearts. Paul got this, that we don't need to be afraid of the culture, that we need to live by faith to engage and reach the culture for Christ. And I think this is also really important on another level, for, especially for students to understand, but also for us adults, is that I think we often get the idea that faith and reason are opposed to each other. That to be a Christian is to check our brain at the door, and that we just need to have a good feeling about Jesus in our heart, and we don't need to think through our faith. But we see the opposite in Paul. Paul reasoned with the people on their own terms to point to their need for Christ. He, for Paul, faith and reason did not oppose each other. He had learned from Jesus that we're called to love God with not only our hearts, but with all of our minds. And so he studied not only the scriptures that were rooting and giving the source of truth to his heart and life, but he was studying their culture to see their own need for Jesus, to point them to that. And I think when you look at the history of colleges and universities in our culture, it's really interesting to see that they didn't start out opposed, with faith and reason opposed to each other. When you study the history of America, actually 92% of the first colleges and universities in America were started for Christians to learn about the truth, not only of the Bible, but of the universe that they believed that science and faith could be studied side by side, that they didn't contradict, that the truth of science could point to the truth of the mind of the creator that designed the universe. And so that we can study all the disciplines of the world to see how God designed the world, and that faith and reason didn't have to contradict. Actually, when you study even farther back, the people that saved the great works of antiquity, of the, of the philosophers that really opposed Paul during this time, of Plato and Aristotle and the Epicureans and the Stoics, those writings were preserved by Christians in the Middle Ages who lived in monasteries. And while the Greek and Roman Empire was falling apart, the monks in these monasteries were copying down the works of Plato and Aristotle because they believed that all truth could point to God and they could study the scriptures and the great writings of classical culture side by side. We really need to understand that faith and reason don't have to oppose each other. That we're called to love God with our whole minds. That we don't have to be afraid of the culture around us. That we can engage the culture and deal with the challenges and the questions that we have through the mind of Christ. And so I really hope that that's uh, that's a part of your process when you go off to college, for those of you who are doing that. And those are adults that we can be people who really seek out learning, not only the Bible, but learning the great truth that points to him. And the second thing that we see in Paul's speech in Athens, and that he he was not only um, not afraid of the culture, but he wasn't frustrated by the culture. I think when Paul was walking around Athens and seeing the idolatry and the immorality of the people there, it would have been really easy for Paul to be frustrated with people that were treating each other and, and living their lives in a way that God wasn't happy with. But somehow Paul wasn't frustrated. He was distressed. And there's a big difference between being frustrated with people for not getting God and being distressed about people being far from God. When we're frustrated with people, we tend to judge them and write them off. When we're distressed, we're moved by faith to help them know their creator personally. And this is exactly what we see from Paul, is that he sees their quest for idolatry as just a misplaced quest, that they're seeking after truth, and they're seeking after meaning in their life, and they're seeking after love and acceptance in the only way that they know how. That's the way that their culture taught them to live. And so Paul is distressed and moved by faith to share that there is a God that doesn't live in these temples, that there is a God that wants to live in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And he gave his life to share with them this message to help them be reconnected to their creator. And why would he do that? Because Paul had found the very same thing in his life, that he had worshiped and served the wrong religion, And that Jesus had changed his life, and even when he was going in the wrong direction, Jesus had pursued him and brought him back to himself. That he had come to know the love of God in the way of Jesus in such a powerful way, that God was a God of grace and mercy that was drawing a world that was going in the opposite direction back to him. And so he wanted to share that good news with anyone who would listen. One of the most famous passages in the Bible is in John 3, 16 and 17. And he says this. We need to hear this if we've heard it a hundred times, or this is the first time. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Paul was offering the way of salvation to people that they could fill the hole in their heart that they didn't even know existed with the God that created them and came to save them. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of another story that's become very famous. It's of two sons. One son serves in the father's house faithfully. He never leaves. But the other son goes to his father, and he demands his inheritance. And he goes off on a quest for life and wild living outside of the father's house. And after he spends all his father's money on wild living, he comes to the end of himself and he realizes, I'm eating pig's food. This is terrible. And so he realizes that he needs to go back to his father's house, that maybe his dad would let him live in the house as a servant or a slave, and that he would be fed better there than he would be out in the world. And when he comes home, what does he find? Does he find a father who's angry and frustrated for him as he had gone off looking for life outside of his father's house. No, we find a father who was distressed, who was waiting for his son to come home, who ran to his son and hugged him and embraced him and gave him grace that he didn't deserve. He put a cloak on him and a ring on his finger and sandals and he brought him back to his house and restored him to his place as a son. And threw a party, that the older brother who had stayed in the house couldn't understand. He was still frustrated that the son had left. But we see in this story the way of Jesus is that God is distressed in waiting for us to come home, that he longs to throw us a party that brings joy and life with God in the center of it. And I think that's what so many people in college and universities are missing out on. And the college party scene, it really doesn't stop after college. It just keeps going in other places. I remember when I was in college, I had one of my best friends was a guy named Kush, and he played football with me. He bench pressed 475 pounds. That's a lot. He came to college with a big mug that was to hold adult beverages, and this mug was bigger than my head. Like, I've never seen a mug this big, and the mug said one word on it, Kush. And Kush, I loved Kush because Cush was seeking after life. He wanted to live life to the full. He just hadn't found it in Jesus Christ yet. And so as I got to know him, we got to be really good friends, and I started inviting him to some of our, our Christian meetings, and he had never really experienced that before. He hadn't experienced people that were treating each other with love and respect in a way that valued each other across their differences, and people weren't trying to impress each other, and people were talking about their need for forgiveness of sins, and these were new ideas to him. And I still remember the night where we gave a message about the resurrection of Jesus and how God would live in the hearts of anyone who put their faith and belief in Jesus Christ and would give them a new life. And I remember him surrendering his life to Christ that night and seeing him go from a guy who was chasing life in the typical party scene of college that had been fed to him all his life to finding life in a God who loved him and created him And now I got to be, you know, as as our relationship grew, we were roommates together, and I got to watch his life change and his faith in Christ develop, and I got to be the best man in his wedding, and he's now married to a woman, and they're doing youth ministry together outside of Washington, D.C., and they have a couple beautiful girls. And this is the kind of distress that we need to have for our friends, for people who haven't found the love of Christ. Because just like Cush, God can change any of our lives to teach us to live in his way, that there's a party going on with God in the center of it, and he doesn't want us to miss out. And the last thing I I think we see from Paul in this passage is is he didn't fit into the culture to reach people in the culture. That when we live for Jesus, we stand out as different. When we look at Paul's speech and how he ended it, he wasn't exactly PC. The word of God sometimes really contradicts and confronts the values of our culture. It confronts all of our need for repentance and change, for surrendering, from turning from our way and recognizing our need for Jesus to save us from our sins and to teach us how to live our lives with him as our king. Writing to his young protege, Timothy, Paul writes this in his second letter to Timothy. He says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Sometimes we just get so afraid what other people are going to think of us that we just blend in that we're afraid of the culture in a different way because we want their approval. But Paul knew, as he shared with them, as he ended his speech on Mars Hill, that we won't stand before each other on the last day, that we'll stand before God. And Paul cared more about what his creator thought about him and his creator's desire to rescue and save a world from sin than what his culture thought about him. And so he met them on their own level and showed how their culture pointed to their need for Christ. But he also boldly proclaimed that Jesus is the only way of salvation and that all of us will give an account of our life to God. And I think God wants all of us to not be timid about sharing our faith, to learn to be bold, to have the love of Christ and the boldness of Christ for people that haven't come to know the Lord yet. And I really hope that that's what, you'll, what those of our students are going off to college, that you'll experience that in school, that you won't just blend in and fit in with the crowd, but you'll stand out for Jesus and let your light shine for him, that you'll know the joy of living life with Christ in the party of the kingdom of God, and you'll be able to see other people come into that party as well. And I hope that that's the same thing for our church, that we would grow in our desire to see the good news change the life of more people in our community and our family networks, that we could see people standing with us on that day when we meet the Lord, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that we've learned to live a life that pleases our creator rather than the crowd, that we would be a church that's known for living by faith to reach people in the culture, not for being a church that's afraid of our culture. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that how in your church we can encourage each other to not blend in and water down your word, but to recognize our need for you as our Savior. God, that you've come to fill our hearts, to make us the temple of your Holy Spirit, and to proclaim your goodness to a world that really needs it. And Lord, I ask that you would fill us afresh with that spirit today, that you give us a heart for those around us to know your good news, that you would cast out fear and timidity and fill our hearts with boldness. And that when we fail and falter, that we would return to you as our source of power and strength. Because Jesus, you are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.